Hey, welcome to the Resilient Strength Podcast. I am your host, Naomi, head coach and owner of East Coast Strength out in Pocketuck, Connecticut. And this is episode 23. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about diet, fueling your body, um, and movement. So in episode 21, a few weeks ago, we talked about why food and movement matter. We talked about the laws of thermodynamics, fueling your body for certain energy systems, and we also touched a little bit on why we can't eat whatever it is that we want to eat. So I want to continue with this topic a little bit more, but, you know, touch a little bit more on the subject of weight loss, you know, dieting and exercise for those purposes. You know, I hate the word diet, to be honest, you know, because it has such a negative um, impact these days, you know, I mean, you mentioned it that you're on a diet to your friends and your family and people will immediately kind of feel this little bit of sympathy for you, right? So I prefer that term fueling your body instead because taking a holistic approach where you're fueling your body appropriately for everyday tasks, health, and for physical performance is really paramount. I like that term fuel your body rather than diet because you're fueling your body And that defines the use of food to provide your mind and your body with the nutrition that it needs to operate at its best. Whereas a diet has this negative view of eating for weight loss, you know. So weight loss occurs when energy intake is lower than total energy expenditure. Total energy expenditure is the amount of calories you burn for everyday function and physical activity. It takes in everything the whole day. So essentially, you need to burn more than what you're eating. Makes sense. If you're looking to maintain weight, then you're going to eat what you burn. But if you're looking to gain weight, then you're going to eat more than you burn. Simple, right? So your body, however, is very good at adapting because it is always trying to maintain this homeostasis, which is your body's propensity to maintain some sort of equilibrium. So you throw something new at it and it's going to adapt. And that's why we get stronger, we build endurance, we get faster, you know, all that good stuff. So with adaption, then weight loss causes the body to operate more efficiently with less fuel. It's adapting to that change. But what we actually want is for the body to be more efficient at using the food for fuel to supply energy and maintain homeostasis. So consider endurance athletes. They want to improve their ability to use oxidative metabolism for energy for longer periods of time. So think of a wood stove. The higher you turn up the heat, the more wood it's going to burn and the quicker it will go through that supply of wood, right? So efficiency is burning the wood at a more sustainable temperature. So being inefficient means you are going to burn more calories for the work that you are doing. So if your goal is strictly weight loss without performance, then that's fine. For a short-term period, that is. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But if you want to perform at your best, then you want to be more efficient at using fuel. And of course, in the long run, you're going to burn more calories when you become more efficient because you're then not only burning calories in that moment of the exercise, but you are setting yourself up to continue to burn throughout the day because you are efficiently using the physiological and mechanical systems of your body. 
So this is also why movement quality matters. When you move better, you utilize your metabolism more efficiently. So one could say this is why someone new to exercise or any kind of new form of exercise they haven't performed before loses weight more quickly. So that newbie train that everybody tries to jump on applies to weight loss as well as you know strength and performance gains. So when somebody starts something new that they've never done before, you know, whether they are a complete newbie to physical activity or, you know, they're a strength athlete and they're deciding to go for some runs, they will see their performance, you know, strength, endurance, whatever, it's going to increase because they're on that gain train. But as they become more efficient at how to perform exercises well, whether that's, you know, cleaning up a squat technique or your running form, then those improvements become smaller, meaning they're not going to make such big jumps in improvement. You know, say like making 20 pound PRs on your squat, you're going to start making five pounds, maybe two pounds if you're lucky as you get more and more efficient at your movement quality. And that's because you are moving better with better quality. You're efficient. This can in turn affect the efficiency of your metabolism. If you move less efficiently, then you utilize your metabolism and fuel less efficiently. Thereby, you burn more calories and you increase the rate of weight loss. Sounds good at the start, but we're going to get a little bit more into why that's not necessarily a good thing. So if you your improvement in your movement improves, you can also then improve your metabolism but to a certain point, because the way you feel your body is also really important. You can have perfect technique. You can exercise all of the time. And this is why we say you can't just exercise or out-exercise a bad diet. The same thing applies to you think that you are eating correctly because maybe you're staying under certain calories, but you're not fueling your body efficiently. You might be putting the wrong kind of foods in your body for the movement that you're trying to do, or you're at such a calorie deficit for such a long time that you are continually reducing the efficiency that your metabolism works at. So decreasing calories will also decrease the energy for work, and it's going to then decrease calorie efficiency because you're essentially slowing your metabolism down. So if you're eating on a calorie deficit, especially for a long time, you know, such as chronic dieting, then you are significantly reducing the supply of energy. Is a calorie deficit a requirement for weight loss? Well, yeah, absolutely. You must create a deficit of calories below your base calories simply to go about your regular day. So, you know, earlier I mentioned about total energy expenditure. You have a certain number of calories based upon, you know, weight, age, etc. These are what you need to go about your, your, your day. And it includes physical activity. But if you want to lose weight, then as mentioned before, you're going to reduce the number of calories that you consume below how many you burn throughout the day. However... Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of trainers advise someone to simply go on a low-calorie diet 
and exercise. And these trainers don't know the individual. They don't know the individual's history or their health status. So having a solid understanding of somebody's diet history and their current nutrition habits help to guide exercise prescription, you know, because we're also looking at a lot of other factors, not just weight loss. You want to improve lean muscle mass, hormones, and other health factors. So if somebody has been chronically dieting for a long time, they have been on a significant calorie deficit below their total energy expenditure, you know, say for months to maybe even years, and they go to a new trainer and they're like, I want to lose weight. And that trainer says, okay, great. This is what you got to do. You got to reduce your calories below what you are, you know, burning throughout the day. Okay. But that person has already been on a calorie deficit for such a long time. You don't know their history. You don't know what they've been doing or what kind of diets they've been following. But you also don't know, does that person have any kind of metabolic disease or dysfunction at this point? Are they at risk for cardiovascular disease? Are they diabetic? Are they pre-diabetic? So these are questions that trainers really should be asking of their clients before they just willy-nilly provide some sort of advice on what somebody should be doing. So if the individual has been chronically dieting or on a substantial calorie deficit, then there is a reduction in energies of supply and an increase of the stress that they have put upon their body And that risks nutritional deficiencies and hormonal changes, especially if we're going to talk about women. So if you cause too much of a calorie deficit, or you've been chronically dieting, flipping between types of diets and exercising because you just need to burn those calories, you need to lose weight, and you want to burn as many calories as you can, then you're just putting a whole lot of stress on your body. See, that reduction in calories continues to create a new base level of calories for everyday function meaning you begin to plateau. You know, hitting a plateau or having difficulty losing weight is not necessarily because somebody has lost that drive or motivation or they're not doing it right, they're not disciplined, or maybe they cheated. Rather, it's because your efficiency has increased. So you're not burning as many calories as you used to. So the calorie deficit you have created isn't enough. But that doesn't mean that you should reduce your calories all the more. This is adaptive thermogenesis. So it is the resistance of your body to to weight loss, and it's a disposition to weight regain and body fat retention. So if you continue on that chronic dieting train, then you're just going to be more prone to regain that weight and retain body fat, especially abdominal fat. So over time, if you continue to diet and you reduce calories below your total daily energy expenditure more and more, which remember is the energy required for simple daily activities and exercise, then you're going to become metabolically inefficient. So remember earlier when I mentioned that if your goal is weight loss, then inefficiency may be a good thing to burn more calories, but You know, I mentioned that it should be a short term, and this is why. Long-term inefficiency is problematic. With adaptive thermogenesis, you have significant reduction in your resting metabolic rate. So there is then such a decrease in energy expenditure beyond what is otherwise predicted by the loss of fat-free mass and fat mass to maintain your new body weight. So it's a survival mechanism. 
to conserve energy during low supplies of energy. Because you're on such a low calorie deficit, then your body is trying to survive. Essentially, your body is adapting under the belief that it's starving. And so it is trying to conserve what little it has. It is putting that little bit of energy into storage, thinking it needs to be able to pull from storage because you're not otherwise putting new fuel into your body. So this isn't to say that you need to further decrease your calories, like I said before, because again, you continue to reduce those calories more and more and more, and you're just going to simply adapt and your body's going to simply continue to store what it needs to store because it's trying to survive. So you can only reduce your calories and therefore your nutrients to the point that you are now unhealthy and you're at risk for several metabolic and hormonal dysfunctions. Not a good thing. So in fact, by decreasing food and therefore energy required to move your body and think too, you may be increasing the affinity for fat storage and muscle loss as well. Because again, your body at that point is trying to pull from the storage that it has. And that includes your muscle because your muscle contains protein and your body is trying to pull that. So women are especially prone to jumping back and forth between various diets. Thereby, thereby, they're chronically dieting, they're being in this continuous hypocaloric state. And prolonged dietary restrictions will really put women at risk for a lot of nutritional deficiencies. You know, they'll maintain adipose tissue, loss of lean muscle, and also puts them at risk for decreased bone density and osteoporosis. And this is a subject that I've talked about before. In a previous episode, I talked about Female Athlete and Hormones, it's episode 16 if you want to go back and listen to that. And I will be putting out other, you know, posts and episodes talking further about women dieting and hormones and the menstrual cycle and stuff. So going back to the diet, this is also why short-term dieting is really important. You know, women who chronically diet or men who chronically diet and jump back and forth between different kinds of diets are then on a calorie deficit or on a diet for months to even years. But you, if you are going to go on a diet, then you really should be kind of setting a short-term goal for yourself. So when I work with my clients to achieve weight loss or other nutritional goals, I'm, then I like to uh, advise them to really set a time frame and a goal date, you know, something no more than 12 weeks. So I guide them to create those kind of breaks for themselves by having that that 12 week max date. It's similar to a deload or a taping period. It helps to alleviate the stress. And in that way, the individual is not stuck in this endless diet and they're not putting their health at risk so much. So it's important to really remember that you aren't simply restricting macronutrients, but you're also restricting restricting much needed micronutrients. And you can only do that for so long because those macronutrients have very specific mechanisms at the cellular level that are needed for physical and cognitive function. So many of us will correlate certain foods for different purposes. You know, for example, carbs for energy when you're performing a workout, protein to build and repair muscles. You know, but not everything is black and white. You don't always want to use carbs as your main source of energy for a workout, depending upon the kind of workout you're performing. You know, in the same way, protein or rather amino acids derived from food protein can possibly inhibit certain performances and adaptions 
at the cellular level. So you really want to consider what do you need to fuel your body for? And that's why I prefer that term, fuel your body, don't diet. Because what, what are you going to do? What are you looking to do throughout the day or within, say, the next hour? And how do you need to fuel your body for that particular movement? So one of the most interesting and really important facts of nutrition is the cellular mechanisms involved with food and movement. So this is why you hear somebody like myself, especially, say that calorie is not just a calorie, a macro is not just a macro, meaning a carb isn't just a carb, a fat isn't just a fat, protein isn't just a protein, etc. In actuality, a calorie is just a calorie, if we're looking at it in terms of total energy expenditure. So that is why most of any diet out there that you're going to look at, any kind of fad diet, is going to work. Whether you're eating low carb, high fat, high carb, low fat, or nothing but Twinkies, it's gonna work if your calorie intake is lower than your total energy expenditure. So if you're eating less, then you will lose weight. And a calorie is just the energy that you supply your body. But where the term a macro is not just a macro can come from is the nutrients and the biochemical mechanisms that a certain food and macro create within your body. So essentially, these help to create more efficiency for healthier everyday function and for specific activity purposes. So endurance versus resistance exercise, we really want to consider the kind of food that we're going to fuel for those kind of movements. So this is because types of food can further be broken down to their substrates and the enzymes that act upon them that will create chemical reactions for metabolism and energy for movement. So remember, food is energy, and that energy is going to help fuel your body for certain movements. And that's why not everything is black and white and why broad and blanket statements regarding nutrition and diet can really be harmful. So fad diets, for example, many look to popular diets because they have this positive result for some for producing some kind of weight loss. You know, the type of weight loss, though, fat mass or muscle mass is really important. And that's not always taken into consideration. So people will say, hey, I lost 50 pounds on this diet. Well, but what? did you lose? These are internal mechanisms that enact a change through such a diet. So let's consider the ketogenic diet. And before we dive in, no, this is not me bashing the diet as a whole. In fact, in episode eight, I discussed some of the history behind the keto diet and who may or may not want to follow a keto diet. So in layman's term, the ketogenic diet is a high fat, low protein and low carbohydrate diet that mimics the fasting state and it uses fats as a primary fuel source. So it is the process where fatty acids are broken down in the liver, and those produce ketones, inducing a what is called a urinary ketosis. And that's used to produce energy through oxidation. So ketones are these water-soluble parts of fatty acids made mostly by the liver. That way ketones are used for energy instead of glucose or amino acids. So unfortunately, people may think that they are in ketosis because they are limiting carbohydrate 
but they have adequate protein for the production of glucose from the protein amino acid sources for energy. So that means that certain amino acids may help to stimulate glucose in the absence of carbohydrates. And then that's going to prevent ketosis. Therefore, they're, you know, not really truly in ketosis because ketones are not being produced because there is an absence of important intermediates in the metabolic pathways to produce ketones because amino acids are there. So in comparison, the low fat diet that was pushed, you know, 20 or so years ago because saturated fats were considered devil, those can lead people to replacing saturated fats with refined carbohydrate foods, you know, like high sugar. And that can lead to an increase in cardiovascular disease, which is still such a huge, huge problem. The thing is that we can't just claim one type of food is bad and the other is good, you know, except for trans fat, you know, that's still bad. But honestly, we need to consider the quality of food that we consume as well as the combination of those foods. So the combination of fats and carbohydrates, especially from processed foods, can increase cardiovascular disease and other metabolic diseases. So saturated fats can further come from refined carbohydrates with fatty acid synthesis in the liver. So even if you are not eating saturated fats, but you're eating more refined carbohydrates, that's still a problem. You know, additionally, these combinations of saturated fats and refined carbohydrates are found in foods like donuts, french fries, chips, ice cream, all the foods that we absolutely love. These foods can contain high amounts of saturated and trans fats as well as refined carbohydrates. So the combination sends this dopamine neuroresponse that signals these uh, pathways of pleasure and reward as well as, you know, the desire to just eat more food. I mean, not getting into the whole politics of food and big companies, you know, they do this to be able to help you to feel like, oh, I want to buy more, I want to buy more, I want to buy more. So there's that reward and pleasure that you feel when you eat these kind of foods, which then instigates you to just eat more of them. Therefore, it's not simply a matter of avoiding a particular food. It's not just a single macronutrient. We're not making just saturated fats the devil or refined carbohydrates the devil. It's not a question of calories in and calories out, but it's the quality of food and the combination of those foods, the movement that you're doing, the interaction that leads to any kind of metabolic diseases. So for the individual who not only wants to be healthy, but wants to fuel to perform at their best, this is where food choices are really helpful or really harmful. So depending upon the activity that you're going to be involved in and the performance adaption that you're looking for, the keto diet or the low-fat, high-carb diet is not at all the diet that you want to follow. So strength and power athletes, for example, won't do well on the keto diet because they're lacking those carbohydrates that are required for the explosive kind of energy and high intensity that they're doing. Fats fuel oxidative energy, which is really good for long duration, low intensity activity. You know, think about long distance run. Carbohydrates, on the other hand, fuel energy for short duration, really high intensity activity. You know, weightlifting, sprinting, many field sports required for short bursts of, you know, power and speed. So in episode eight, I mentioned that the keto diet can then lead somebody to feel like they're crashing. 
if their main sport or performance is something that is high intensity and they're on the keto diet, then they're going to feel good for a short while, maybe a week, but then they're going to start feeling like their energy is completely crashing. They don't have the strength. They don't have the power. They don't have even the workout capacity to continue with their workout. So their energy for high intensity is limited and that's going to lead to, you know, a lot of fatigue and energy depletion. So if you're somebody who performs high intensity activity and you're limiting the carbohydrate availability, then there are amino acids available to prevent ketosis, instead provide glucose for the energy in the absence of carbohydrates, especially with high intensity activity. And that can further lead to breakdown of muscle for that production of glucose because you don't have those carbs and your body is going to find a different way. Remember, this is homeostasis. This is your body thinking that it's starving in some sort of way and it's going to try and find a different way of going about providing your body with fuel for the energy that it needs. So I want to point out that although fats are used to fuel long duration, low intensity activity, That doesn't mean that a high-fat, low-carb diet is necessarily a good thing for, say, an endurance athlete. So a good analogy for this is fire. We can't fire or we can't fight all fires the same way. We know that, you know, water is not necessarily what we should be using to put out a fire because water may further instigate a chemical fire, for example. This is because different materials interact with heat in various ways. And the environment, and the amount of oxygen, etc. So the body is the same way. As mentioned earlier, types of foods can be further broken down to their substrates and the enzymes that they act upon to create chemical reactions for metabolism and for energy and movement. So certain macronutrients will lead to different cellular mechanisms, which can also interact with, you know, internal chemical reactions. And those can be more negative for some than for others, such as, you know, impacting the mechanisms of cardiovascular health, diabetes, and hormones as well. Likewise, movement can produce chemical reactions within the body that will initiate cellular mechanisms of food and hormones for the body, and that can help to survive and maintain homeostasis. So when it comes to different kinds of foods and their biochemical interaction, not all are created equal. So while initially the keto diet may be recommended to somebody with diabetes, we have to be careful as to the type of dietary fats that a person consumes. So in episode eight, I briefly mentioned that there are different kinds of dietary fats. So we commonly know them as saturated, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, and they're termed you know good fats and bad fats. But it actually goes a lot deeper than that. So in episode eight, I mentioned a study of endurance athletes that showed that oleic fatty acid, which is an omega-9 monounsaturated fat, mainly consisting of olive oil, could increase mitochondrial coupling after exercise. And mitochondria in the cell, in your muscle cell, produces energy for everyday function and aerobic performance. It is the king of all cells. The study, however, cited specifically that the examined endurance training led to the uncoupling of mitochondria due to the non-esterified oleic fatty acids. And that increased the regulation of aerobic energy production. So it was very specific that for endurance training, 
oleic fatty acids were the best. Compared with oleic acid is palmitic fatty acid. And that's a long chain fatty acid commonly found in you know, palm oil, dairy, meats. And that can disrupt homeostasis. It can decrease motivation for physical activity. It can inhibit brain BDNF, which is really important for brain plasticity and function. It can be correlated to neurological diseases, such as Alzheimer's and dementia, and has a negative effect on mental capacity, mood, and behavior. So it can increase your propensity to be in a bad mood or have a bad behavior or just like not want to work out because eh, you feel a little bit lethargic. So palmitic fatty acid can affect fatty acid metabolism on insulin secretion for those with insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. So that fatty acid that I said has all this bad stuff, including mood and behavior, can also have an effect on those with type 2 diabetes. Whereas uh, OA, which is oleic acid, can improve insulin sensitivity and it can increase free fatty acid oxidation, which will decrease the risk factors for diabetes. Instead, palmitic acid can cause a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation, which will increase insulin secretion. And even if you are not somebody that has type 2 diabetes, Oxidative stress and inflammation is not a really good thing, especially if you're an endurance athlete. So this is not to say that palmitic acid should never be consumed. So saturated fats should never be consumed. You know, oleic acid, which is, you know, the good fatty acid that we consider in combination with the bad stuff that we consider, it can mediate the negative effects of saturated fat. So it can have saturated fat that is can have protective mechanisms in your body and can actually be good for you but it's all about the amounts of food that you're consuming the type of food that you're consuming the amount of saturated fat so like the rda uh, recommendation for saturated fat is 20 grams for a 2000 calorie diet per day but that's really going to be dependent again upon the individual So if we're looking at somebody who does have insulin uh, resistance or they're at risk or they already have type 2 diabetes, then that recommendation of 20 grams of saturated fat might not be a good idea. And we want to consider those little bit of uh, changes considering the individual. So I say all of this, you know, with exercise, that while yes, one could say that maybe, you know, 80% of the time, most people can train the same way and eat the same way. You know, there really are a lot of small, unique circumstances for any one person. And like I said, everything is not black and white. So making broad statements and recommendations can really cause confusion for a lot of people. That's why sometimes I get a little hot at the fact that so many gyms will simply roll a person into a group class without any assessment or consultation. They don't sit down, they don't talk to the person, they don't find out about their history. You know, questions should be asked. Health and fitness history should be considered and movement should be assessed to ensure that the person is provided the most effective, safe exercises as well as nutritional recommendations. Not only for more detailed health considerations, you know, like diabetes or metabolic diseases, 
for weight loss and for performance. You know, the kinds of foods that we fuel our body with are very important, which is why I prefer the term fuel your body more than diet, because foods fuel your body for work. And depending upon the kind of work that you're going to be doing, you want to consider the kinds of foods that are going to fuel that kind of work. So movement can create a chemical reaction through the system to simulate food and fuel for the continuation of movement at a certain intensity and duration. So both food and movement are really important when we are going to work out. So think about how do I want to fuel my body for the work that I need to do in order to perform at my best. Because your movement or your exercise and your nutrition are all partners in your overall health and performance. So women especially are unique in their fitness and nutritional approaches. And like I said, I'm going to discuss this a little bit more in depth in a separate episode. But both can have significant effects upon hormonal balances. You know, nutritional deficiencies can lead to muscle gain uh, or loss bone density, metabolic homeostasis. You know, in another episode, like I said, I'm going to discuss these nutrition and exercises a little bit more in depth, um, specifically for women, because some may say that men and women do not differ, but they really do. But in the meantime, if you want a little foundation on those areas for women, then I encourage you to check out the episode 16 titled Hormones in the Female Athlete. So I know that this can be a bit overwhelming, which is why it's you know really important to consult with a nutritionist, dietitian, or somebody who has an advanced education that really understands the interaction of food and physical activity. I'm sorry to say that somebody with a weekend certification, or you know they simply had a really great amount of luck with their own nutrition or weight loss, they're not a reliable source to turn to because they have limited education and knowledge as to cellular and biochemical interactions within the body. If they're simply throwing recommendations without really understanding you and your health history, you know, your status, your fitness status, your your experience, and, you know, even your hormones as a man versus a woman or your individual hormones, then they're going to do you a huge disservice. So in a world where everybody wants to get the most bang for their buck, They want to find the cheapest route. Consider your health and your performance. Are you willing to sacrifice your wellness to save money? I know a lot of people may look at those in the fitness profession as being a really easy profession. I mean, they're just telling you how to work out, right? It's not too complicated in many people's eyes. But the fact is that the fitness professional and this area is really quite complex, Because we're actually working with the human body. And that includes muscular and bone mechanics, cardiovascular system, respiratory system, nervous system, bioenergetics as they relate to physiology and biochemical reactions. It's a lot. So we in the fitness profession are helping you to prevent or improve areas of your health. So after discussing how nutrition has such an impact on your body down to the cellular level... I hope that will encourage you to be a little bit more methodical in your nutritional approach. You know, your exercises, the advice and guidance that you seek from professionals. You know, really ask, what is the professional's education? What is their experience? What is your history and your unique circumstances? And do you believe that that professional, whether they're a personal trainer or nutritionist, is a fit to guide you in the most health conscious way? It's food for thought. 
No, no, that's not a pun intended considering today's topic. I, uh, I hope today's episode really gave you some information and education to better approach your own nutrition and exercise. Remember, fuel your body. Don't just diet. And if you are going to go on a calorie restriction or even a calorie, you know, add more calories to your diet, really do it for a short period of time, nothing more than 12 weeks, so you can give your body a break and you're not in that chronic dieting, you know, loop. If you're looking for somebody who can provide an in-depth guidance in nutrition, as well as your programming for performance, exercise, whatever it is, please reach out because I really would love to help you. As always, feel free to contact me with any questions, comments, snide remarks. Love to chat. In the meantime, thanks for listening and I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks.